This is the story of my descent into Northern California's dark underbelly and how a little boy grew to maneuver, manipulate, and eventually escape from far beyond those borders. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. Farias, welcome to my madness method. So as you can tell by listening to the other episodes thus far, uh, things are going great, right? Um, I say that jokingly, of course. So I thought, why not? Let's take this shit show on the road. We pack up and we move to Arizona. Now, the girl I'm dating at the time, her her family is heavy in, in Arizona. Her parents are in California. Literally everybody else is in Arizona. You know, what I had come to learn was um, in sobriety rooms, NA and AA, and I believe I touched on this previously, but, but this is what's known as a geographical. So I thought, hey, you know, let's go on an adventure. Let's uh, move somewhere new. She can be near some family, uh, and I can try to get away from what was right get away from this uh this addiction i I don't know that i necessarily identified it as an addiction at that time but nonetheless i I knew i needed to try to get away from her family helped us out as did mine my dad and a neighbor i grew up next to we loaded up a truck and 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 they drove us out her family supplied us with all brand new furniture we moved into these brand new beautiful apartments in arizona right near 83rd and mcdowell right across from the desert sky pavilion brand new first people to ever live in it with two master bedrooms you know as far as apartment goes this was pretty nice my balcony overlooked the entrance like all all the stars that that might have been performing at the Desert Sky Pavilion, their buses would park right along the wall that my balcony overlooked. It was a cool spot. There were times I got to know the security guards that would manage that back gate. And, you know, there were times like the Up and Smoke tour with Dre and all them. They went there and I got to just slide in there for free. That was pretty cool. Uh, Slipknot went there once. So I, I laced up some work boots and uh, threw on a wife beater and over I went. So, you know, things were going good. She and I were doing very well. Um, I, I, I've never had an issue getting work. I always had a job. Uh, I needed to make sure that the money I was making was somehow justified, even though there's no way it ever lined up. So it, it, it never took long for me to apply somewhere. If I got an interview, I got a job. That's just how it went. It was it was a no-brainer. It, it really was never about, oh, I hope I get this job. It, for me, it had always been, which job is it that I want? She was a gymnastics coach. She, she found a job very easy. I got there and immediately went to work for uh, Coca-Cola. The hours were okay. It was, oh man, it was so hot there. It's hot in Arizona. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's it's hot. I mean, there were days that we didn't have to go to work because of how hot it was. Like, I think it's anything over 120 degrees or something like that. Like, you're not supposed to be on the roads. It's not like I had a glamorous job. I, I picked orders, right? 
there wasn't like a traditional layout for Coca-Cola to pick their orders. It was just like this space in this open bay, right? So the delivery trucks, and you guys have seen them, they're like uh, like box trucks, but the side has a bunch of doors that roll up and in there is all the product, okay? So these these trucks would come in one big bay door and out the other after being loaded. And basically you were picking just in time. Stacks of 12 packs and, and six packs and 20 ounces, you get it. But, but there's no like traditional warehousing layout of racks and, and all that pretty stuff, right? It's just, hey, this space is where this goes and this space is where this goes and this is the path you follow. Ultimately, this place had a manager, the guy that handed out the workload. And then, it, it, interestingly, the the warehouse supervisor, whatever you want to call the guy, he would hand off the task assignment to, let's just say, like, the more lead guys and the more senior guys. But that's not how this worked here. The warehouse supervisor was, I don't know, some local gangbanger and all his gangbanger homies worked there. He would hand off the work to be handed out to his gangbanger homies who would then hand it out to the rest of their squad. Maybe they weren't gangbangers. Maybe it was just all family, but you, you figure it out on your own. And so they would hand out, you know, the, the, the case pick. So you were supposed to pick 480 cases an hour. Now, that's super easy when you're grabbing pallets of 96 12 packs and so all their homies would get all that and then me and any other guy that's not part of their squad would run around picking everything else okay so now you got to get a couple of 12 packs couple of six packs and 20s and you got to make these like things that wobble and flop all over the place and i mean it would get hot enough that the sodas some days would explode when you pick them up so there was this guy and he and i kind of vibed a little bit i think we'll call him jake i'll be honest i don't I don't really remember his name, but Jake and I would jump at the chance because when the trucks would come back from their routes, you had to empty out the old pallets and clean clean out the, the bays where the new pallets would then go in. And, you know, we'd jump at the chance to not have to pick orders and go out and clean out the trucks. We went outside and we, we were cleaning and we just got to talking. Now, mind you, this is probably six months, probably since we moved out there. Things have been going really well, but but lo and behold, the conversation comes up of the party and that he and I both did or do. And tell me that that conversation didn't quickly go into this gentleman, Jake, telling me, oh, hey, I got some of that shit at my house. I said, get the fuck out of here. So work ends. We're going to go hang out right quick. Um, the one thing that was cool about working at Coca-Cola, you could take all the soda you wanted. And I'm going to tell you right now, most of y'all folks buying soda out of the stores have no idea what this is really supposed to taste like. Because I'm going to tell you, fresh Sprite, fresh Coke, fresh root beer, it, it tastes nothing like the stuff we're getting off the shelves. It's actually refreshing. It's pretty crazy. So anyway, load up your arms, out the door you go. And we go to this cat's house and, and he's in the Tempe area. And we get to this place, and I'm like, this is a really nice apartment complex for a guy that's working at Coca-Cola with me. And I thought, well, I got a pretty nice apartment, too. But, I mean, these were exceedingly so. And we go into this dude's apartment, and there's two chicks that are already there. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck, bro? You know, now, I want to be real clear here. Like, my girl was my world. So, let's not, like, venture down that road like this was something more than it was. But, uh... These chicks were clearly already on one. They were both super hot, okay? 
Um, I, I'd like to say that they might have even been strippers because the fuck they, they're probably students, but I, I kind of, you know, they just had that vibe about them. Their names might have been one and two for all I know. But we start to smoking. Holy shit, this stuff was good. I mean, it was good. I didn't want to cause any alarm at home, so I was like, all right, man, thanks, I'm out. It's not like I immediately jumped back into this. I wasn't getting high every day, every day, every day. The one thing that did come up was that this job was wearing on me in that the heat was so bad that my inner thighs had actually started to chafe and bleed. And every day at work, like just from the sweating and I know maybe TMI, and st- but I mean, it, it was happening. I was sweating so bad and working so hard that my legs were would bleed by the end of the shift. So now you add that I'm also getting high. <laughs> Didn't help the situation. It kind of came time. Uh, me and this guy, Jake, we'd hung around. Um, the unfortunate step that happened was that he actually introduced me to somebody that lived three blocks away from where I lived. And so now the dope got even closer. Now I didn't need to keep returning to Coca-Cola to get the hookup, right? Now I didn't need this job that was causing me to bleed anymore. So it was time to go, you know? Dope was a little closer to home. Uh, It was time to find something a little more relaxing. So I had done telecom work for a bunch of years but I had done fiber optic networking and for the, a long time, I had ran all the network cable for all the Sonics through the South, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas. I, 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 had, I had grown accustomed to a company called Graybar. For those of you that know it, good for you because that place is, is like a little wonderland for nerds. So I wound up getting a job there. It was far less hot and far less strenuous. And I, it was something that I knew It was basically something I could do with my eyes closed. I knew the materials. I knew the product. I I knew the company. You know, I was quite familiar with it, except for the fact that the demons were coming back. I managed to find myself a job where I wasn't bleeding. (laughs) I managed to find a job with something I knew, but yet I couldn't abandon the monkey on my back. This addiction took off quickly. Jake and I... Interestingly, just sort of parted ways. It, it was almost like, I, okay, I was done with this guy. And and I, I don't know that he and I ever got that close. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't feeling the vibe over there. Like, again, I was very much dedicated to the girl I was with. There was these chicks that were at this place. I, I just didn't really want anything to do with it. And I somehow in my own head convinced myself that, oh, I'm just partying every now and then. No big deal. This guy's too serious. He's doing too much. Like, like I was any better. I would run home at lunch. Now, mind you, we're talking from Tempe, Arizona to West Phoenix. I'd run home at lunch. The, the, the buddy he had introduced me to, his name was Carlos. He was, he was an all right guy, but I would run all the way home to go get some shit on those days that I was struggling and come back and, and here I am smoking meth in the warehouse at a, at a gray bar. That's what I would do for lunch. All the while, my girlfriend's going to work and taking care of me, and I couldn't have had it better. And I had to make sure that I fucked that all the way off. The money wasn't coming fast enough. Now the addiction is is speeding up a bit. 
there were some other friends that kind of worked their way in and and emphasized what what I was going through. Okay, I had a buddy Terry. He lived in the apartment building adjacent to mine, and and he was actually a widowed father. He was a really nice guy. I, I really hope someday to cross paths with him again. He was a really cool cat. Uh, he was young. His 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 wife died very young. His kids were cool, and he was doing the best he could. But we would party every now and then, and you know we started doing this thing that we called railroad tracks, right? And and he, he liked to do coke every now and then, and I really was never a, a big fan. But we started doing this thing where we would put a line of coke and a line of crystal next to each other, but offset. So you would start, because he couldn't handle the burn from the crystal, so he would start with the coke to numb the nostril, and then the line of crystal would kick in, and you'd do the rest of it all together. And we did that for a while. Carlos also introduced me to uh, a guy named John and a guy named Tommy. They lived right up the road from us as well. You know, so so the circle is expanding. My addiction is advancing yet again. Ultimately, I, I wind up losing the job at Gray Bar. To be honest, I don't remember if I left or if I got fired. I guess that speaks to really where I was in life at that point, because here I am telling these stories from so long ago and that I can't remember. To keep up the facade, I would go to these check cashing machines that they used to have in Phoenix, and they may in fact still have them. But you used to be able to write a personal check and put it in this machine, and the machine would essentially cash it for you and give you the cash, and it would keep like a percentage of it or whatever. Well, this became the new way to get it done. I would not be working. I would put checks in this thing, get money. Okay. Now, mind you, there's nothing supporting this. There's no money in our bank. I'm just throwing things negative and would then ultimately, you know, bring it back to zero or a little bit over. But I would do this in order to get dope. It started getting even worse. Like I'd start smoking at home. I would go get a light bulb. And the clear ones, uh, not the ones that were like white paint on the inside or, or anything like that. I'd just get an old school white or clear light bulb and break it. And I would put the dope on that and smoke it with whatever and use a pen and smoke it that way. Um, at this time, I didn't know where to go get bubbles in that town. I didn't know anything other than I just wanted to get high. My girlfriend... She was perfect. She was perfect. And it, and it breaks my heart that I did this. Because here she is kind of living her little piece of a dream, right? She's around her family. She's got a nice apartment, nice car. But yet her boyfriend's not working. Doing drugs in the bathroom, unbeknownst to her. She just thought I had a whole bunch of stomach issues. Turns out I was just an asshole drug addict. And I was stealing money from ourselves to go get high. I would go to that guy Carlos's house at all times of night, make up some bullshit, some excuse, run over to his house. He'd throw it down from his second story window and I'd leave the money there somewhere outside. And off I went with my little bullshit drugs. It's interesting, the parts of this that I find hard. I thought this one would be easier to get through, but she didn't deserve this. Our families didn't deserve this. There was no dealing. I wasn't even compensating for the money I was losing. I was just losing. 
we wound up going home to California for Christmas, I believe it was. By this time, we had not paid rent in a while. I don't think she knew. But uh, we did get a call while we were home from a lawyer. We were advised that our apartment had been cleared. You know, my buddy Terry was the one that clarified it. We got a we got a call saying, "Hey, your your items have been confiscated." Whatever the whatever the message was that we got, and I called Terry, and Terry was like, "Yeah, bro. Like we thought something happened to you. All your shit's gone." And we panicked, and we looked up, and we called a lawyer that was like a like a rental lawyer. And wouldn't you know it, the same lawyer that wrote a book on renters' rights is the lawyer that represents the apartment complex that just stripped us of everything. We went back. We went back thinking that that was going to help something. And when we got back, that apartment could have been re-rented. Everything. Everything was gone. Yeah. Everything. Everything from when we were kids. Every picture every piece of furniture, every piece of clothing, toiletries. I mean, it was all gone. The only thing we had was the bag that we packed when we left. And and I did that. I did that, and she didn't deserve it. I even went as far as when she kind of felt that her boss was harassing her a bit. I told her, fucking quit. You know, I'll take care of you. <laughs> what the fuck? I told her to quit. And she did, thinking that I was going to take care of us. And instead, I stole money from ourselves and threw our bank accounts negative and didn't pay rent and was just partying like an asshole. We lost everything. I still think about that, some of that stuff. Her baby items, things that she held on to, my, my baby items, things I held on to, things that I had planned on handing down to my kids. It was all gone. There was nothing left for us and there was nowhere for us to be. And and I know that I broke her doing that. I broke her soul. I broke her heart. I broke her trust. I deserved everything and anything that followed this. As this story goes on, I'm telling you right now, anything that I suffered because of her, I, I deserved. And this is where the addiction got worse and the anger got worse is because now, now I wasn't even dealing at face value with the problems that I had. Now the guilt and the shame of what I had done was just absolutely destroying me. Where were we going to go? What, what is it we were going to do? In our trip back to California, Chris had become very tight with Fred. And Fred used to go to this house. He'd go to this house where his boy Qua was the main guy. He was the guy that had the dope. Nobody was allowed to go in the house. You know, this was already kind of set in stone. And this was a known thing before we even moved to Arizona. Like nobody got to go in this house. But when I got back and we did this visit home, Chris not only was allowed in the house, but they wound up striking up a friendship, he and Qua. So I don't know what it is that happened while we were gone, but during our visit home, 
Chris not only started being able to come into the house, but Chris and Quad had become friends, supposed. Chris wound up dating Qua's girlfriend, so they split up. Qua moves out. Chris moves in. <laughs> now the house that you weren't allowed at is the hub for my crew. This was a very interesting event to try to absorb. It was a good time. You know, uh, Chris ultimately absorbed the business from Qua, which I'm going to tell you guys, there are ramifications to something this crazy. But at the time, it was just a good time, right? I was kind of proud of him. This is how sick and twisted. I was kind of proud of Chris. Like, bro, you set up shop, bro. Like, you were doing things big enough that you ran this dude out. Initially, I thought nothing of the repercussions. It was actually at that house that I, I got that call from the lawyer. And I called Terry. And we found all this out. And girlfriend and I had to shoot back to Arizona. It was a good time while we were there. But we left again to find we had nothing to leave for. We packed ourselves up with the little bit that we had and and started bumming around Arizona because we were too ashamed about what happened. Who were we going to tell? Were we really going to tell our parents, hey, we lost not only all of our shit, but all the shit you gave us too? By the time we had come back, um, Tommy and his wife had split up. Tommy was on a very similar path that I was on. He was going through very similar things. And his neighbor, John, across the way, he was a good cat. He uh, worked in textiles, delivering textiles. And uh, we'd meet up with him every day at 3 o'clock and drink all his beer. And we'd replenish it for him and whatnot. But Tommy's house became the party spot. And it didn't get better. It didn't get better because it just fueled the issue. I'm a mental mess. I have no fucking idea how to recover from this. I have no idea. I have no idea what's about to come. Because while we were home and in the shock of the news of losing everything and the feeling of helplessness, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody makes their own decisions, right? But for for some reason, my friend Ken decided that uh, it was her right, my girlfriend meaning, it was her right to decide whether or not she wanted to try this drug that she knew I was doing, right? She's watched it all crumble around us. And, and so they got together one night at Ken's apartment and, uh, and partied a bit. And I, I'll be honest with you, you know, at that time, it was kind of cool. Like I didn't really necessarily have to hide it anymore, but I'll tell you what, that was a hell of a green light. No more tiptoeing, no more breaks. Um, breaks were off at that point. I had really tried to shield her from this. And, and I don't want to say I, not permitting or none of that because it's, you don't control people like that. Right. Uh, at least I wasn't with trying to with her. <laughs> I know that's contradictory from everything else I've said, but with her, it was different. And I wasn't going to try to control anything. I was trying to have like a, a real relationship. So if she wanted to try something I was doing. Well, all right, go for it. Uh, unbeknownst to me, we were opening Pandora's box. 
this girl came with a set of issues that I was not aware of. Uh, it took many years to find out what was in this box. Unpacking this one was a lot. And it really surfaced once we had gone back to Phoenix and began. What we felt was picking up the pieces. Because it was anything but. My addiction now had a partner. So it knew no bounds. Like this chick, I knew she had my back. She didn't go anywhere when all this happened. When I said that anything that happened to me from here on out, I deserve, I, I need to be clear that this is what I convinced myself of. Any heartbreak, any hurt feelings, any scenario that happened from this point moving forward, I convinced myself I deserved. So, so previous to this, I was undeserving. That's why these things happened. Okay. Now from here, moving forward is where I began to believe that this is what I deserved. We bounced around between John's house, and Tommy's house, John's wife wasn't going for it. You know what? In hindsight, I don't remember having ever seen this guy, John's wife. Starting to wonder if maybe she never even existed. We went up staying at Tommy's. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back in the game there to try to make some money because I knew I could do it in California, but I couldn't face anybody in California because of what had happened here. So I needed to try to put it together here. And I began really immediately paying the price. Tommy had clicked up with some of Carlos's friends and they were like extra shady. There was like no honor among thieves. I, I realize that's a ridiculous statement, but these guys were just fucking shysters from the get. I put my watch up. I had a really nice watch. I put my watch up as collateral because I had nothing. I put it up as collateral from me some dope so I can double my money. I went and sold it off. I doubled my money. And this motherfucker kept my watch. was like, no, you said you were doubling my money. Just to put in perspective the kind of fucking assholes I was dealing with. And then this little bitch that I was getting the dope from felt like he was big because his brother was somebody. And anyway, this was just a snowball effect of... Dealing with real fucking shitheads. On top of that, my girlfriend started cheating. And again, I was convinced I deserved it. Now, mind you, I didn't catch this shit until way later. My dumbass answers the phone one night. Late, like 10 o'clock. Her phone rings. I'm like, hello, some dude. He's like, hey, girl, you coming through? And I was like, what? I was, hey, you got a phone call. Oh, so now she starts getting ready to shoot out. And I was like, who was that? She was like, oh, that was my cousin so-and-so's boyfriend seeing if we were going to come hang out. I was like, oh, okay, have a good time. Well, that was a lie. I, 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 I even managed to find her in some interesting scenarios with Tommy when I, when I come, come home. And anyway, ultimately, it doesn't matter. At this point, it's the things I felt like I deserved. Now, mind you, I, I was even told that certain things happened because I lost all of our shit, you know? And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I don't even know if that's relevant to this whole story. At this point, I feel like... I, th I feel like I've told enough stories about being cheated on, like... I mean, you guys have grasped the kind of person that I was. It's it's hard to be, oh, I'm a victim here, you know? 
I mean, admittedly, it is fucked up to find out that you've been cheated on because your addiction made you make some horrible decisions and you lost stuff. Like, the correlation is missed for me, but again, that's addict brain. Phoenix was tough. Ultimately, we wound up finding out that the security guard or the security people for our old apartment complex and my buddy Terry. Now, mind you, I don't I don't blame Terry. He had no idea where we were or where, where we went. But these were the people that cleaned out our apartment and kept all of our shit. The security company, like I, I was friends with these people, took care of them. I helped them out. And so it was pretty heartbreaking. So now I've got a new complex. I I deserve to be where I'm at. We get a call one day and uh, Chris has been arrested. So it's time to go home. It's time to go home and see if I can help in some way. Maybe one of those connections, maybe maybe one of those dirty fucking cops can pull some fucking strings for me. I, I, I don't know, but I, I can't let my buddy go to jail. We pick up the pieces and uh, and we go home and, and we face the music. I, I remember she and I holding hands almost the whole way home because it was like we knew it was about to get real fucking bad. It was almost like we knew that we were about to lose each other while we were sitting side by side. That concludes this chapter of The Madness. If you're finding this podcast entertaining and you're listening along with me, please subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method.